Welcome to Firm Foundation Ministries Podcast. We hope it encourages you and inspires you to live out the purpose God has for your life. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. I want you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 14, which is where we've been living for a few weeks. Um, out of some things, and um, I'm going to just read one portion of the scripture because we've been in this story for a little bit. Uh, but I, today I want to read verse 10 as we've taken this journey about what God has been doing with the people as, as he encouraged them in a particular direction as God led his people specifically to the Red Sea uh, as he gave in specific instructions that they were camped in front of the Red Sea that they were to uh, camp inside of what we might call a kill box in, in uh, modern day terms. It didn't make any sense uh, because there's no way out, left or right, backwards or forwards. Uh, and it seems like God had led them to an obstacle that was insurmountable. It seems like God had led them from freedom to a place of bondage. And on top of that, there was an enemy who was pursuing them. God was teaching them not to waste their suffering. God was teaching them how to walk out life and trust Him in this moment. And here in verse 10, we, we, have, a little, we have a growth moment. Everybody say growth moment. Where revelation once again comes. Exodus chapter 14 verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people lifted up their eyes and behold the Egyptians were marching after them. And they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. Hello, somebody. That's a good thing. Verse 11. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in this wilderness? What have you done to us to bring us out of Egypt? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reading of the word. Bless it to the hearing of our ear and the receiving of our heart. In Jesus' name. And everyone said? We've been moving through this just out of some personal devotional times that I've spent in front of the Lord over the last six months or so and, and just some of my own wrestlings with God. But I, I realize in the sense that I'm not alone, but it doesn't... When we're going through things, there's a truth we know, but a truth we don't live in. And that is this, we're not alone. But when we're going through things, those are the times when we feel... Very alone. There's a truth that says you're not alone. Others are going through it, but it still doesn't, it still doesn't take away the fact of how you feel in that moment. And the thought process is what? How do I share what I'm going through? Because I don't want people's pity. That's not what I'm after. Instead, what I want is people's faithfulness and their commitment and their understanding and and uh, and their unity in an issue. But Sometimes, let's be honest, we hesitate to share what we're going through because in our panic, in our struggle, it can sound like what we want is pity. And so today, I want to tackle this idea of panic versus prayer. And I, I want us to watch what happens here. Because there are times in life when we find ourselves in a situation that we only have two options. Come on, church. Panic or pray? Now, I'll just be vulnerable this morning because this sermon's about me and not about you. My first tendency is to panic. Hello, somebody. 
I know that's not you. I know you've worked through that spiritual journey in your own life. And, and that's not you. always go to prayer first. And, and your prayer is nothing but trust and rest in God. And, 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 and when you're praying, you're like, you, you just feel complete and full. And you don't even worry about it anymore. You just take it to God. You put it to prayer. You walk away from your prayer closet. You don't, you don't worry about it another. You don't even think another step about it. I know that's, that's not me. And I just be honest, believe it or not, I've had my fair share of times of panic. And it ain't pretty. Amen. It, it ain't pretty. But the Lord is revealing to me, not only as we lay out some of this stuff, and, and by the way, with the interns here, we, we work through this together, and I really appreciate their input and their thought process and, and what it makes us think and how it makes us press into God. But God is revealing to us more and more that prayer is the thing that helps me stay calm. Come on, church. And strong-spirited in a crisis. Listen, when we can't go forward, when we can't move sideways, when we can't step back, it's time to look up. It's time to look up. And, and I thought about this, and God gave me some illustrations. I, I remember when, 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 when Jacob was in the same kind of moment in, in Genesis 35, and, and verse 3, the Bible says, Jacob said, let us arise and go to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. Jacob said, I, I can't go forward, I can't go sideways, I can't go backwards. It's time to look up, let's go to Bethel, let's go to the house of prayer, let's make an altar, and let's look up because God always answers me in my time of distress. As a matter of fact, I'm so confident that God, let me tell you why I'm confident God answers me, because he's been with me. David, David in the same part in 2 Samuel 22, 7 says, In my distress I called upon the Lord, to my God I called. And from his temple he heard my voice and my cry came to his ears. You see, the enemy wants you to believe that God didn't hear your prayers. The enemy wants you to believe that God isn't even interested in your prayers. And that God's too busy to get involved in what you're wrestling over. But the psalmist in Psalms 107 verse 28 says, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea hushed. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of prayer I'm looking for. This is what's happening when the Israelites cried out to God at the Red Sea. The waves, the Bible says, the Bible literally says the waves of the Red Sea trembled. And then they were held back by God's faithfulness. We know this story. But I need to talk to you today about honesty. I, wanna, I want everyone in this room to realize that you come to this place this morning and there's no expectation that you put on a spiritual hat and that you try to be more spiritual than you are. I, I, I love the fact that God's presence is a presence of reality. It's a, present, a, a presence of honesty. It's a, listen, you can't hide anything from God anyway. When we approach God, when we're in His presence, He knows the most intimate parts of who we are. He knows our thoughts and our, our motivations. He knows how we process everything. God understands where we're at. I want to talk to you today about prayer. And I need, you to be under, I need you to understand and be clear about this issue. I'm not talking about this, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep prayer. The truth of the matter is that's a prayer of fear anyway. I mean, we literally learn from the beginning to pray out of fear. 
The Lord's prayer was not a prayer of fear. It was, Lord, give me this day, my daily bread. We, we, I want to I be honest. I'm talking about the type of prayer we've all prayed, the type of prayer we don't, we don't ever want to talk about. I want to talk about those ugly face prayers. Hello, somebody. I, I want to talk about those ruin your makeup prayers. I want, I want to talk about those prayers you can't pray while you got a pair of glasses on. I want to talk about those kind of prayers that, that you don't really want anybody to know you pray. I want to talk about those kind of prayers that you know you're there in that moment where even if you were to declare the, the way you pray, it sounds like doubt and it sounds like you don't try. It sounds like you're so desperate. I want to talk about those kind of prayers that you pray when your soul is shattered. And even if you could tell someone, you won't because you don't want their pity. Hello, somebody. But you don't have the words to even express where you're at. Come on, I, maybe I'm the only one in this room that's ever been in that moment. I'm talking about those kind of prayers that I'm confident Jesus meant when the disciples came to him and said, hey, we prayed and tried to cast, and, and it didn't get cast out. Why? Why didn't this happen? Jesus looked at him and said, this only comes out through prayer and fasting. This only comes out when you're serious about what you're doing. This only comes out when your soul is ready. It's right there where you're on the verge. I'm talking about the kind of prayers that Paul meant in Ephesians chapter 6. In the message paraphrase where it says prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. Pray hard and long. Oh, come on somebody. I'm talking about those kind of prayers that you start praying and you realize you only got a minute to pray because you got to be late for work. But when it's time to stop praying, you're not ready to stop. I want to talk to you about that kind of prayer. I want to talk to you about that prayer in ongoing warfare where you understand and know that you got to pray hard and you got to pray long. Not because God isn't listening, not because God doesn't care, but because your soul is shattered. I just need to be honest with us. There comes a time, in spite of our soft modern ways, when the church has got to learn that we got to be desperate in prayer. Prayer for God's church must be something that we wrestle in, that we're unashamed about, that we're outspoken about. I'm so blessed this morning. Three minutes before the service started, I, I'm like, I've been talking to people. I hadn't been able to, 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 to get everything quite settled yet and those things. And I, I look up and I'm like, three minutes. And, I, and I'm like, man, worship's going to happen. Then I got to preach. I, I probably should have hit the men's restroom before. Hello, somebody. And, and so I get in there. It's three minutes. And I'm like, man, I, hello, somebody. Got to hurry up here. Can't even get in the men's restroom this morning and get it done in a hurry because Ray Dahl's got somebody in the middle of the men's restroom with both hands laid on him and he's praying a prayer. And I'm like, Lord, I got to go, but I should help pray. I got to get, get out of the way. I'm talking about prayer and I can't wait till you get out of the bathroom. And I'm like, I love this place. But I'm supposed to go start worship or do I stay into the prayer? This is where the prayer meeting happened today. I thought prayer meeting was in the prayer room. No, it's in the men's bathroom. <laughs> Even if you could use the bathroom, get to the sink to wash your hands because these guys are over there in the Holy Ghost. I'm like, I love this place. I'm talking about prayer, unashamed and, and outspoken. 
outspoken and, and like, hey, I'm not just going to pray for you. No, we're going to get it done right here. Hey, the altar is 20 feet away. Nah, it's all right. We're in the bathroom. We get it done. I love it. See, what you might not realize is you feel sometimes your prayer is just a cry out to God. You're just crying out to God. But there are many, many prayers in the Bible that are recorded that are cries. And despite the idea to the contrary, the Bible recognizes an attitude of prayer storming heaven. Knock, and it shall be opened. Seek. And you shall find that requires action on your part. They know you at the front door if you don't knock. You can't leave and go, well, they didn't let me in. Did you knock? No. Nobody know you were there. Well, I couldn't find God. Did you go looking for him? No. See, let me tell you something. We want to blame not being able to find God when we all the places we know God ain't going to be no how. I'm talking about those kind of prayers like James talked about in chapter 5, verse 16, when he says the fervent prayers of a righteous man is mighty in its working. Can, can, we just, can I just ask a question? Have you ever had a time in your life where there was little you could do except plead with God? I plead. And did you ever feel in that moment that even that wasn't enough? And if you've ever been there, can we just posture our hearts for a minute and think for a second and go, maybe my attitude about prayer needs to change. Have you ever just give up on prayer? What's the point? I mean, God didn't answer my prayer anyway. Really? What's the point? We just give up on it. When the coffee line at church is longer than the prayer line at church, now I'm meddling. You know why my attitude needs to be checked about prayer? Because the focus of most of my prayer is panic, not trust. Oh, I'm helping somebody. I'm just preaching to me this morning, so y'all just watch. If I'm honest about my prayer, most of it's fear-based. Can I ask a question to us? Is James lying? In James chapter 5, verse 16, in the New Living Translation, it reads this way. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. What? Really? Is James lying to us? Because how many of you have been disappointed because your prayers... It didn't feel like they had great power. How many of you have been disappointed because your prayers didn't produce wonderful results? I'm the only one that's all right. That's all right. The altar's big enough for me. The, the prayer of a righteous person. I just need you to understand something. I'm going to give you a little confidence this morning. I want you to learn to stand on his finished work and to stop trying to stand on your effort. The Bible says that the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now, let me explain something to all of us in here this morning. The only reason and only way you can be righteous is by accepting the finished work of the cross of Calvary. Because it's the blood of Jesus that makes you righteous. Not your effort, not your attitude, and not your religion. And so you need to understand that your righteousness comes from the God who calls you to pray. Your righteousness comes from the God who gives you permission to stand in His presence. Because you are clean and pure. And you can pray with boldness and liberty. Why? Because I am righteous. Righteous in God, made clean by His power. And if that is true, then why am I not expecting and experiencing the latter part of what James was talking about? Because oftentimes I pray with an expected outcome. Panic blinds me to the possibility that my Red Sea can split. Panic or pray. Panic blinds me to the possibility that my Red Sea 
can part. But let me tell you something, church. When we put our hands in the hands of the one who parts the sea, then we learn the great secret to resting in prayer. Watch this. Exodus 14 was in crisis. They prayed an urgent prayer. They prayed a united prayer. They prayed an unfeigned prayer, sincere. But they also prayed an unbelieving prayer. Amen or oh me. There's an urgency in their prayer. You can see it in the scripture. It's not, it's not, God's not trying to hide anything from us. He's telling us a story. The Bible says that everything was written for our admonition, for our understanding, so that we can grow from it. Their urgency was obvious because the Bible says they cried. They cried out to the, to the Lord. There's an urgency. I don't know if there's ever something that's hit you so hard that all you could do is say, Jesus, no, help me. Not again. Come on, I'm the only one who's been there in that moment where something just hits you and you just go, no, no, Jesus. Help me, Lord. Not again, Lord. That's an urgent prayer. It's one I believe God hears. Help me, help me, help me. I love the scripture says that they were united. There was one great united cry rising from a host of voices that's piercing heavens like some massive signal from the earth. It's, it's kind of, I don't know what I can describe it to you. It's, it's, it's kind of like that moment in time where like you're throwing up prayers like the bat signal. I'm desperate. Somebody turn the light on. Somebody call Jesus. Somebody get his attention. Come on. Do you ever feel like your prayers are like that sometimes? It's just like you're trying to scramble to find the switch to turn on so Jesus will pay attention, so he'll know wherever he's at, whatever he's doing. He can't ignore that. He'll be here shortly. Turn the switch off. They also prayed sincerely. The word is unfeigned. It's, it's, it's deep. It's, we could say the word sincere, but the word unfeigned, it gets us into that place where it's not polluted. It's not polluted. Come on, church. They'd never been more earnest about where they were at. This wasn't some kind of religious, ritual type kind of prayer. They, they were panicked. And in their outburst, there was real, raw emotion. And they were, they were just honest before the Lord. Can I, can, I, can I just give you some scriptures and I want you to compare them to your own prayers. Watch this. Watch this. Job chapter 8 verse 5 and 6. If you will seek God and plead with the Almighty for mercy. Remember I told you a couple of weeks ago that I, I stopped asking God for a miracle and I just started appealing to His mercy. Forget the miracle God. Just be merciful. Job says, if you seek God and plea with the Almighty, there was a series of events that brought me to that statement. Forget the miracle, God. My, I mean, I'll be honest with you. My heart is broken before the Lord because of lack of understanding of anything that didn't, it just doesn't make sense. It says, if you're pure and upright, uh, James says, I'm righteous because of the blood of Jesus. Surely then he will rouse himself. For you and restore your rightful habitation. Oh, Job, I've been right there, buddy. I'm with you. Come on, man. Me and you, we're walking down the same path, man. And I, I'm, I feel you. I understand you. I'm not going to be like your buddies who sit around and say you must ascend. I'm not going to be somebody who sits around a campfire for seven days and stares at you in silence. No, 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 buddy. I feel you. I'm with you, man. I got you, Job. Mark chapter 5, verse 22 then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, by name. And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her 
so she may be made well and alive. Earnestly, Jairus is fallen at the feet of Jesus. He's appealing to his mercy. Luke chapter 7, when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly saying, he's worthy to have you do this for him. And Luke twenty two forty four, and then being in agony, we're talking about Jesus in, in the Garden of Gethsemane. We're talking about him. He, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. James chapter 5, verse 17 talks about Elijah. And, and sometimes we, we struggle to relate to the great heroes of the Bible because they walked in such power and such anointing. But James reminds us, James reminds us in verse 17, right? It's so powerful. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He wrestled. He struggled. He didn't understand. He got discouraged. At one particular time, he just said, God, just kill me. I'm sick of it. But the Bible says that he prayed fervently. He prayed fervently. Come on, church, he prayed fervently. Colossians says, continue steadfastly in prayer and be watchful in it with thanksgiving. James chapter 5, verse 16, we've always said, therefore confess your sins one to another and pray for one another, even if it's in the men's bathroom, that you may be healed. Because the prayer of a righteous man has great power and it's working. When God, in his grace and mercy answered the cry of the Israelites right along that sea it wasn't because they expected him to you know how I know that it's verse 11 as soon as they prayed they turned around to Moses and said you brought us out here to die we're gonna die it's over they cried they, they cried out to God they urgently and sincerely and united but instantly instantly as soon as they said amen he's not gonna answer we all gonna die come on how many of you ever left your prayer closet with that attitude. I, okay, I'm good. I'm good. It's just me. I did all the things. But I need you to notice the way the story plays out here. They prayed, but they didn't believe that God would answer. And, and it's sad to say. But I'm not ever going to be that preacher in your life who blows smoke. I'm going to be honest with you. I completely understand. How many times I've left a prayer meeting and just... How many times have I sat in a prayer meeting and couldn't pray? I could say a word. My mind is racing with everything I should pray about and want to pray about and the things I'm panicked over. You prayed, but didn't believe God would answer it. And I get it. I get it. I told you that six, nine months ago, my wife's health began to struggle again, and we've been through that. Fear and panic gripped my heart because I didn't want to see her go through what I'd seen her go through before. And to hear my wife come to me and say, I'm going to go to the doctor. If he can't do anything, just cut it off. I'm tired of the pain. And to put that on top of... Now, I asked if I could share this story, so I'm not looking for your pity. I'm looking for your commitment. A year or so ago, well, a few years back, we lost Camden, and all of you guys know that, and it was heart-wrenching, and it was, it was terrible. And I feel like God spoke to me for six months. I felt like God was silent, and it, of course, it wasn't God. It was me. I remember telling Rosa Chupp, I, God, she was like, can I pray for you? And I was like, J I can't hear God anymore. And Rosa prayed for me, and it was like heaven opened up. It was like my ears opened. Or so. I don't know what happened. You need a little prayer. Find Rosa. She'll, she'll violate you. You'll be all right. Man, she said some things that hurt my feelings. In a moment when I just wanted somebody to be nice. That's right. You don't always need nice. And so, you know, we struggled, and it was all our grandbabies we were going to have, and 
When Sarah, our daughter-in-law, Doug and Nancy's daughter, she got pregnant with twins. Yes. And I remember getting a call from TC one night. Dad, if you got any connections with heaven, you need to pray. You think Sarah's losing the babies? Oh, God, did I pray. Not again. Did all the things. I remember getting the next fall from him and his broken heart. Hey, God will get us through it. God will get us through it. God will get us through it. Through that process, of course, then I tell you that, you know, we're wrestling with some things, and Lisa starts to struggle again a little bit, and fear grips my heart, and panic, and anger, all the stuff. I'm just being honest. I sh- Hello. So I get in the Word, and this is where I've been living, and I hear all these fancy little songs about Egypt. And I like them, but, you know, in my prayer time, sometimes my attitude is... In the midst of all of this, then we get a call from... TC and Sarah, hey, we're pregnant. And of course, in my heart, like we love the kids, the girls. We got all girls. We got all girls. Camden was our only boy. We got all girls. And so, you know, a little outnumbered. And we're like, hey, all right, we're just going to embrace the baby that God gives. And, but we, you know, we're believing for a baby. We bring, bring the boy in here, God. Let's let me stir this up a little bit. So we start praying. We start praying. And then I get a call from TC. And he's like, hey, Dad, got to pray, man. What? What's going on? And he's like, well, Tara, Sarah's been really tired lately, and so they did some things, and they're a little concerned. I'm like, what do you mean concerned? And I'm like, well, and they didn't say anything yet, but they went to do some follow-up tests because they're concerned about what they see, and, they, and, and they're worried it could be cancer. No! No, Jesus. No, Jesus. I'm like, I'm still here. I'm still stuck where you led me. I, I haven't even left yet. I you know what I'm saying? It's not like I've got past the Red Sea. You're going to throw the Jordan on top of that too. Not again. And then what, what's going to happen with the baby? And Not again. You know, I've had times when it's panic or pray. Even when I chose to pray, my prayer was tainted with unbelief because of my panic. My panic caused my Red Sea to seem bigger than my God. And all my life, God has been with me even when I wasn't a believer. And I tell these crazy stories, you think I make them up because sometimes the, it doesn't add up how it can happen and those type of things. But see, that's, that's why you know God's working because it doesn't make sense. Put it on paper, it doesn't, I don't care. But here's the deal, even in those moments, my perception becomes my reality. And what's going to happen? I, I'm going to die. God led me here to let me die. God led me here to let me lose again. God, not again, not again. I did all the things. Come on, church. And I have discovered that in my prayer closet, I am more consumed with my benefit than I am with his glory. The truth of the matter is that God wants to use my Red Sea. He wants to use your Red Sea for his glory. Can we, can we just be honest? God led them to a sea. Not to a creek. Can we, can we be honest? God led them to a sea, not to a pond. The kayak ain't making it. Oh, he ain't gonna cut it. God led them to a sea. Have you ever felt like God led you to a place like that? Where everything you would even have in your arsenal is it, it, it can't begin to touch what is required to move forward? And, and you're being pursued. We already talked about that because you're a free person. 
You can't go backwards because of that pursuit. You can't move left or right because you're pinched in on all sides. Are you with me, church? You see, have you ever felt like God has led you to a place like that where it's beyond your ability to move forward, where it was God himself that led you there. You've heard God, you've experienced God, you've witnessed God, but here you are because of God and now you're having to cry out to God for a place that he led you to? And it's no wonder after you say amen, you're like, he's not going to listen. Maybe you don't read it like I do. Can I say this to us? Here's what I'm discovering. Because I'm fasting and I'm praying. I'm going to the gym, trying to work out. I'm weak because I need any food. And I'm, I'm just driving 5 o'clock in the morning. This stupid gym. It's early. I don't want to be up. A bad attitude. Let me, let me tell you how bad my attitude was. I got a minute. Y'all going to open houses today anyway. You're going to eat later. The alarm goes over at 5 a.m. one morning. And I reach around just to touch my phone. I, I haven't opened my eyes yet to turn the alarm off. And I touch the phone. And I promise you, if it had been a game at the St. Joe County Fair, you could have paid a million bucks to win this game and you would have never done it. As soon as I touched my phone, that phone fell from where I had it, down through a crack, underneath the bed, and back up. And I haven't opened my, my, and I haven't opened my eyes yet. And literally, I just said, "Does it have to start this early, God?" Ask my wife. Amen. And that's what I said after. Does it? I haven't even opened my eyes, God, and already I got a fight. Uh, there's a fight already. I couldn't have done that if I'd have purposely a thousand times tried to. It wouldn't have happened. It's dark. I can't turn the light on. My wife is still asleep. I did. I said it out loud. Does it have to start this soon, God? And so I get down on the floor. I grab the side of the bed and I start pulling on the bed. My wife is shaking like this. The dog sits up like, what is going on, you know? And my wife's like, are you okay? I'm like, I'm, it started off. I'm fighting already. Here we go. Yeah, is it just me? Driving to this gym where Tavita's just going to torture me when I get there. And I'm saying, God, why? I don't care how you weigh it, God. There's nothing about this fair. I don't find any justice in this. I've been here. And now my daughter-in-law is struggling too. What's going to happen, God? If she pulls through this, if it's cancer, what's going to happen with the baby? I mean, what is taking place here, God? And I felt the Spirit of the Lord say to me, will always lead you to a place where my glory is greater than yours. It is good, but it didn't make me happy. You know why it didn't make me happy? Because I am more interested in my glory than his. And so at the end of my prayer, I'm often worse than where I was when I began. My prayers are all focused on negative feelings rather than God's assurance and his promises. And I promise you, I have spent time in this book. I know them. But I have learned an important truth in the last couple of weeks especially. That at my personal Red Sea, here's the revelation this week, people. Unless we plead in faith, our prayers can do more harm than good. Before you balk, before everybody gets on the internet and starts a huge old debate... I'm the one being honest. You're the one lying to yourself. Prayer that leaves me in panic and fear reveals my attitude about prayer. Prayer that leaves me in panic and fear 
reveals my attitude about prayer. Sure, I'm in front of God. Sure, I've seen God. I've witnessed. I've been a part of those miraculous things. Do you know the difference between major and minor surgery? It's simple. Minor surgery is when it's happening to you. Major surgery is when it's happening to me. Same surgery. I got faith for you. Hello, church. Prayer should lead me into trust and rest. Do you understand something, church? That faith is to prayer like a feather is to an arrow. Stabilizes it. Increases its flight factor. Gives it a better chance of hitting its mark. Come on, church. What's the mark of our prayer? Let me tell you something. I don't know about where your target is for your prayers, but mine's the throne of grace. Mine's the throne of grace. Mine is the throne of grace. Can I say this? About did the glory run in my office Thursday. God spoke this to us Thursday. When pleading isn't enough, when prayer leaves us hopeless, what's the answer? Relationship. And I need you to understand the whole journey of the Exodus. As a matter of fact, the entire story of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, was God wrestling with his people about relationship. So why wouldn't we understand? Why, why wouldn't we know that our Red Sea moment's about the same thing? It's about relationship. Why, church, wouldn't we know that that moment where we're at a place we can't move forward, we can't go back, we can't move left or right, why would we assume, why would we assume that God would lead us there to die? Instead, why wouldn't we know that since the whole journey with God has been about relationship, that God has led me to the place, not of impossibility, just so he can show up and show out, but so that he can move in my heart and demonstrate how personal he wants to be and how involved he wants to be and how relationally he wants to be connected with me even in my heartache even in my wrestling even in my struggle even in my anger your fear my fear about the depth of the Red Sea reveals the depth of our relationship with God it's not a pond it's not a creek my fear about the depth of where I'm at my wife's health my daughter-in-law's health the baby's health and in of all of that, I'm crying out, where are you, God? Like my fear and panic has blinded me to the fact that he's there. The truth is, when I panic, I fear the shallowest of waters. And that reveals the shallowness of my relationship with God. The deeper our relationship with God is, the more ability we have to trust him. And what if the thing that God has led me to has nothing to do with the thing at all? And it has everything to do with God using the thing deepen my trust because there's a deeper one coming there's a there's a wider valley coming there's a higher mountain to climb if i don't get this one right you see the shallower your relationship with god is the more you fear and the more fear-based your relationship is church in his faithfulness he split the sea at its deepest part Oh, come on, church. And just to prove how relational God is, he wants to be the thing that you understand. I'm not just satisfied with splitting the sea in its deepest parts. Come on, church. I'm not just done there. But I'm going to turn the seafloor to dust. I want you to choke a little bit while you walk through it and understand that I'm doing it. I want you to get some dust in your nose and in your ears and have to wipe it away from your eyes so you can't deny who's the one who's done that. May 
Maybe some wind blew it. Maybe something happened. Maybe the tide went way out. But that don't explain dust on the bottom of a seafloor. You ain't going to mistake that I'm the one who split it open. You're going to know that I'm the one who did what I could. And this week I got a text from my son through the follow-up meeting with Sarah and her doctor. And the doctor said, don't worry. Don't be concerned. There is no cancer at God telling you, church. The doctor said, I got some stuff to do, but we're going to do that when the baby's born. But don't you worry. There ain't no cancer. Whatever has happened, it's happened. And I can tell you what happened. God turned a muddy seafloor into a dusty spot. So dusty, I couldn't ignore it. God let me know that when I was being shallow, he wanted me to walk through the deep parts. Y'all got to understand who God is this morning. God loves us so much that he doesn't just stop with parting the waters that trouble your church. He paves a road at the bottom of the sea and then he uses that same sea to destroy his enemies, church. God is a sea-splitting, road-paving, enemy-crushing father. That's he is. Even though they prayed and didn't expect God to move, God still moved. Even though I prayed and complained the whole time, God still moved. I'm not worthy. Come on, church. You ever had one of those moments and then you go back to the next day where you realize just how shallow you've been and you sit down to, to do your devotions like you did the day before that you realized how shallow you've been and, and you just look at it and you just go, I'm not, I'm not worthy. It's so good. It's so deep. It's so stirring. God is using the things that cause us to panic, to expose the depth of our fear and the shallowness of our trust church. And yet in it all, he remains faithful. Your Red Sea, my Red Sea. Your panic, my panic. God has a plan. Did he tell Moses that? I have planned this. I have planned this so that I get glory over Pharaoh. I have planned this. When we face the Red Sea, when we face impossible odds, church, let me tell you something, pray. Hello, somebody. Pray. Pray urgently. Pray united. Pray unfeigned. And trust the great prayer-answering God who grants mercy. Come on, church. He grants grace to help us in our time of need. Pray. Relationally, I promise you, God is stirring us. And let me, let me explain something to you, church. It's never been a, a, a greater time in the history of mankind, where the church was relationally connected to the God that it worships. Where the church is relationally connected to the God that it worships. Because I'm going to be honest with you. Our fancy little YouTube videos. Come on, church. And our cool little sermon jams. I get them. I love them. They still leave me beside a sea that i got to understand. My God's faithfulness is deeper than where I stand right now. And I want to pray and confess that my attitude about prayer... My attitude about prayer, God is challenging. God is challenging. And I need you to understand this morning, I asked permission to share this from Sarah. Sarah doesn't want your pity. Because the truth of the matter is, she's standing in front of the Red Sea just like you. We're all in the same place. And the waves that you hear lapping on the shore of your life might not be cancer while you're pregnant. It could be a marriage that looks like it's over. It could be financial ruin. It could be a prodigal child. It could be, come on church. I need this church to understand something. If God has taken you and I on a journey together, we need each other. And he expects us to cross this sea together. When he splits the sea, he splits it for all of us. Come on. He splits it for all of us. 
And so I'm going to beg you, be united in prayer. Confess your attitude about prayer. It's urgent. It's urgent. How many times have you just gone, man, that Jesus, we just need you. Jesus, we just need you. I'll share this. Stand with me in this place. Let me tell you why God is dealing with the heart of man right now. Because I'm like every one of y'all. And I'm pumping gas right now. My heart is... Hello, somebody. My wife comes home with less groceries right now. When I find out my Gatorade bottle used to be 32 ounces, now it's 28. Bunch of crooks. No, I'm, I'm with you. See, God's dealing with our heart. And I don't... We live in the most violent atmosphere we could live in. And all the world can think they can do is legislate morality. Let me tell you why the church is so important right now. Let me tell you why we, you and I got to get this about prayer. You can't legislate morality. Ask Moses. Ask God. The Ten Commandments didn't legislate morality. They were still idol worshipers. God is using the local church to train up young people. So that their hearts can walk in purity and integrity. But the fact is that they're not held back by the limit of a law. Instead, they walk in a standard higher than the law. They honor people. Hello, somebody. And there ain't but one entity on the face of the earth that can do that right now, and that's the church. The church. The church. So our kids in Bible memory, our kids in youth group, our kids... Our kids, our, 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 our volunteers, everybody, VBS, everything we're doing to impact young people. You know why? Because we're the change agent. We are the change agent. And you can wait till November if you want to. They're going to change nothing. I say, why wait? Why don't the church pray now? Come on. No, wait, I told a pie, he called me. A politician called me this week and I said, listen here, bud. I am not waiting for somebody to vote you into office to do what I feel like I got to do to make my community better. Not waiting on you, so don't make me no promises. Right? Because right now, that's all it is. I can tell you what to do. If you want to do something for me, you call me. But I said this. I said, how about this? Right? Like we're trying to raise some money to build a place where young people can come and their lives and hearts be transferred. So instead of asking me to contribute to your campaign, I'm going to ask you to contribute to my building fund. Let me give you the address where you can write a check. He's like, well, can we have lunch? Yeah, write the check. I'll come have lunch with you. Right? You bring a check. Church, I'm just being real with you about where I've been because I I don't know if anybody else is willing to admit that I think we've all been in that place. 
But I'm here to tell you God is not abandoning us next to the Red Sea. He is not doing it. He didn't do it then and he ain't going to do it now. His church is going to go through that Red Sea and come out on the other side victorious. And we're going to praise God with a dance like they did on the other side as they watched the enemies of God drown. See this place full? As bad as I hate it, I hope we have to go back to two services. You know why? Because I believe in the faith of this house. We've all had our attitudes checked about prayer. So I just want to lay it before you today. You want to move out? Move out. Father, thank you. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you, Lord, that you're not bothered by our panic. Lord, I thank you that you don't panic when I panic. Instead, you speak and you say, I've planned it. I've let you. Trust me. So, Lord, we want to be the people who stand in the power of righteousness. We want to see our prayers great power with wonderful results we thank you God that even when we pray in doubt you stay faithful we thank you God that you don't say I'm sorry you got it wrong do it again we're going to stay here until you pray right until you get it no God we just cry out and there you are Lord but you still reveal to us God that you call us deeper into you Lord grace calls unto grace deep calls unto deep Lord, you move us from grace to grace to grace. God, you move us from depth to depth to depth, God. And in this moment, God, when we cry out to you, together, thank you that you hear our voice. Thank you, Lord, that you hear our voice. Thank you, Lord, that you hear our voice.